Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 238 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Missing in Action, a Q&A with Marty and M. Leadership drives culture, culture drives performance. You've heard me say this before. Now, in this Q&A episode, we look at a few very common team culture dynamics and give some perspectives for how you might be able to handle these situations when you find yourself in the middle of them. The first is the incredibly common phenomenon of the supposed star performer who manages upwards brilliantly but doesn't actually deliver. And the boss is too weak or too conflict averse to hold them to account. They'd rather let the rest of the team bear the brunt as long as the work is getting done somehow. The second question focuses on organisational politics and how deceptive behaviour can be leveraged for advantage by those who concentrate more on politics than value creation. Now, as you might imagine, we get a lot of questions from our listeners on these team dynamics. So, to help me answer a few of them today, welcome back to the microphone, Chief Executive of Your CEO Mentor and producer of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast, M. Hello, hello. Great to be back on the podcast. And yes, we get so many questions like this coming through. So I'm re- very excited to tackle these ones today. Yeah, I know. They, look, they're incredibly common, aren't they? But they're hard to navigate. You know, these situations are tricky. 
And uh, I know from experience that you saw a bit of this in your short but stellar corporate career, didn't you? (laughs) Unfortunately, I did. Uh, I saw quite a bit of this. In one role in particular, I had a boss who was an absolute loose cannon, super erratic. Uh, They came from the world of PR. So their special talent was being able to spin anything into a positive, be it true or not. Mm. So managing clients and upper management with lies and spin was a daily occurrence. And, you know, those clients and upper management, they couldn't see that this person was hugely toxic and not actually doing the work that they said they were. So common. Yeah, it, it is common and it was incredibly difficult to work under someone like that and, you know, be able to deliver exceptional results as well. So safe to say, I was very glad to put that boss and job behind me when I moved on to better things. What do you mean working with me? Absolutely. So <laughs> <laughs> It was a little earlier in my career before <laughs> <That's true>. that. <laughs> uh, no, great story, Em. So um, why don't you get to the first question? It's a cracker. Yeah, so this one's from Julia. All right, it's a bit of a long one. In our leadership team, certain people quickly nominate themselves to lead new projects and then they don't deliver, leaving other people to bring it over the line. This creates a lot of frustration in the department, especially for those who have to rescue the project at the end. There are no consequences for the people who seek out the limelight and then don't deliver. I gave this feedback to our VP. The people who aren't delivering don't even have to face tough feedback, let alone any real consequences. Then the VP asked me what I thought would be most appropriate consequences for these types of situations. What do you think, Marty? Well, this question is going to allow me to explore a bunch of different aspects because this is more common than you might think. First of all, let's just talk about the cultural norms and differences. So given that Julie is in Europe, the labor laws and management customs are often different And quite often they're more restrictive than in other countries. Uh, So one of my good friends from Harvard Business School, Guillaume, uh, was a chief executive in France. And he told me that he used to spend at least 30% of his time dealing with labor unions. Uh, And that's unbelievable in terms of time consumption. But if you think about, you know, France versus Australia uh, or the UK or South Africa, very, very different environment. Now, even my clients in New Zealand tell me that it's getting harder and harder culturally to manage performance based on the labor laws. So I say go with the culture, but don't be a slave to it. What do you mean by that? Uh, Well, look, it's really all about risk. And you've just got to push the boundaries a little bit more, I think, whatever those boundaries are and wherever you find them. And one of the things that I did in CS Energy, because it was a very unionized environment, was to say to, you know, line management and HR, you've got to take a few risks, and I'm prepared to take a few risks. And if it so happens that we lose a few cases in the Fair Work Commission, well, so be it. But we've got to send a message that says this is not okay, And the workforce needs to hear that message. Mm, That's that's awesome, Marty. So there's the culture. What about this VP? Because I don't know, to me, it sounds like Julia's boss is a little weak. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) And and I think this is just a classic case of conflict aversion. Hey, this boss could be a really great person, right? But avoiding a one-on-one and putting any greater consequences in place is a sure sign that that person isn't a comfortable leader. Could be a great person, a smart person, a strategic thinker, who knows. But in these circumstances, eventually the good people are going to leave. They just are. Even if you come up with an answer that, you know, you can go back to your boss and say, okay, um, how about we try these consequences? I would be really surprised if your boss implemented them. So Julia, you're sort of between a rock and a hard place here. 
Sounds like this VP needs to do module two, handle conflict of leadership from the theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, just listen to a couple of podcast episodes. How hard can it be? Oh, okay. So what would be the appropriate consequences if this were you, Marty? Well, look, I think, um, you know, once once is an accident, you know, twice is a pattern. So if it's happening all the time, I'd say the first thing is, right, give one-on-one feedback. That's the very first thing. And then stop giving them projects. If they take on projects and don't deliver them, just stop giving them to them and reward those who do come in and actually save the day. Give them the opportunities, the pay rises, the promotions uh, and the professional development. So there's a whole range of ways not just to deal with the people who aren't delivering, but to reward those who are. Okay, so what about the team culture? Because we've spoken about this before. There are some cultures that get, I suppose, a bit addicted to the adrenaline of having to rush in, save the day, you know, all all the work behind the scenes in a panic when, you know, that's not actually how projects should be delivered. No, and as I like to say, you know, um, really, really well-run businesses are actually quite boring because you don't have crises coming all the time. You you actually <laughs> find the issues in advance, you manage the risks, and, yeah. and you don't let these fall into crisis. So, the, yeah, the culture is a real problem because those who aren't performing are getting away with it and the people who are stepping in aren't being recognised for it. But this talks to the dynamics of over-functioning for your peers as well. Over-functioning for your peers and going in to rescue them is a really high-risk strategy for a number of reasons. So they're sitting back there. If you go in and interfere, then there are two possible outcomes. If everything goes really, really well, the person who took the initial accountability will say, hey, look. I got this done. How good is it? And your contribution won't be recognised. If it all falls to shit, they'll say, hey, it was going fine until Marty stepped in and screwed mm, it up and mm-hmm. you, wear, you wear the consequences for it. So politically, it's really difficult. It's a high-risk strategy. And more than anything else, it distracts from your job. So if you're out doing someone else's job for them and helping them where they're not delivering, what are you doing with your own job? This is a real derailer. Yeah, and you've seen this quite a bit, haven't you? So... What should you do instead? I know this is going to sound terrible, but you've got to let them fail. You've got to actually let them stuff up and fall over. And it's not your job to make it work. Now, I know that you know really good people are always thinking about what's best for the organisation and how to make the organisation better. But if you keep stepping in, things will never change. Until there's a crisis, you've got to just exercise that real restraint, that real discipline, and stand back. It's not your job, it's your boss's job to bring that into line. It's the same when one of your people isn't doing their job. You can go in and do it for them and compensate for them and dip down, but that person will never improve and the lack of performance will never become obvious and apparent to everyone else. So this is like a peer-to-peer version of dipping down, and I would say, don't do it. Stand back, advise your boss accordingly, help where you can, but don't take accountability for something that's not your accountability. Yeah, that's so true, Marty. And Julia, I don't know if that helps, but we've given you a lot of uh, food for thought there to go through. And I'm interested to know what happens. Let us know. Make sure you email us and let us know what that VP actually decides to do. (laughs) Totally. It'd be be interesting to hear that one. Yeah. Uh, Okay, let's go on to the next question. Question two is from Janelle. We've got two, two J's, Julia and Janelle. All right. I'd love to hear about handling deceptive behavior in the workplace. What are some of the ways you can handle other teams and leaders who are consistently deceptive on need to know information? And Janelle, this sounds uh, very similar to the, the scenario that I spoke through in the introduction. It, it is actually, yeah. And that wasn't rehearsed either. 
Um, Janelle, this is the sort of stuff they don't teach you about in business school. And I know you have an MBA from one of the best schools in the US. Large organizations are rife with politics and it can get really, really ugly. So let's start with a look at politics in general. Now, some people naturally gravitate towards it. And I suspect this happens early in their career when they realize that they're getting outperformed by others and they're getting beaten out to promotions. I saw this a number of times in my career, but one example that really stands out is that a business I worked in had a very, very senior leader who was as dumb as a box of hammers. And he'd realized over the years, obviously, that because he wasn't as smart as the average bear, that the way he would actually gain a foothold in corporate life, because he was very ambitious, would be to out-politic everyone else. And he was a dead-set genius. Um, He was slimy. He couldn't be trusted as far as you could throw him. But he had the ear of the boss, and he was really, really good at it. Ugh, yucky. I'm I'm feeling yucky just listening to I know, I know. I feel like a shower too. (laughs) This is the trouble when you get ambition combined with underperformance you end up with someone who's a politician. Um, They spend a lot of time thinking about how to gain advantage. And this is what's normally at the core of their deceptive behavior or any deceptive behavior that you see. Yeah, too true. Janelle asks about handling the need to know information though. How does that play out in terms of politics? Because some stuff genuinely is need to know. Yeah, it is. But it sounds like from what Janelle said that this organization is an organization that values knowledge and hoards knowledge. So I think I've mentioned before in a podcast like uh, probably years ago about the difference between a knowing organization and a learning organization. And one of the biggest turnaround things that I had to do when I was in any of those businesses that I worked in was moving it from a knowing organization where knowledge was power to a learning organization where people would learn and grow and try things and take the organization forward rather than being stuck in the past. Great book, which I'll refer you to. It's uh, called The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge, which is really the classic that talks about learning versus knowing organizations. But in a knowing organization, they value expert power. Knowledge is power. Holding on to knowledge and a knowledge edge can be a political advantage. So, you know, this is a classic in engineering-based companies. The answer is stop rewarding knowledge. Knowledge is an input. It's not an output. It's what you do with that that matters. Mm, Such a great point. So how can you deal with other teams that are deceptive? So it's not your team. It's someone over there doing something else wrong. Well, I guess there's no substitute for performance, right? So, So you've got to show up everyone else around you by the fact that your team actually nails it and creates enormous value. If there's another team hampering your performance, then you've got to take it up with them. If that fails, you've got to go upstairs to your boss or their boss. But not until you tell that person who's obstructing you that you're going to do that. So when you do this, you don't complain. You don't say, oh, Marty won't do what I want him to do. You actually just stick to the facts. So for example, here's a a classic conversation I've had a number of times. Uh, Jeff, I'm relying on Marty's team to provide this input or information to me. And this is proving to be harder to get than I expected. Now, I'm working through these issues with Marty, but I just wanted to give you a heads up in case I can't convince Marty to do his part. And look, if his priorities are more critical than mine, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll ease back. Right. And what happens if you get completely blindsided? You might think that you've got all the information, but by the time you find out that the other team has held out on you, it's too late to avert the problem. Yeah, and this one can be a lot harder, right? So you need to make it clear that the other leader or team has held out on you. 
But once again, you don't want to be seen as being a complainer or by blaming them even. You know, you can't blame them directly. It's a bit tricky, Mm. but here's a suggestion, right? Now, what I used to do in the past was to describe this as a communication breakdown. So, (laughs) So you're not actually throwing it straight at their doorstep, but everyone knows how to read between the lines on this, right? So for example... Uh, Jeff, look, this information came to light quite late. And if we were aware of it, obviously, we would have made different decisions on the way through. Now, I'm not interested in postmortems, but I am interested in working out what we can do in the future to avoid this type of communication breakdown. So, <laughs> Very yeah, good. So, so what you're doing, right, you're future-proofing the situation. They might get away with it once, but they certainly won't get away with it twice because this opens the door to your upline conversation that says, look, this has happened again. And I'm beginning to think it's more than just a coincidence. (laughs) Oh, Marty, you've got so many great one-liners here and super practical. So hopefully Janelle can kind of take that away and do something with it. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And look, you know, all of these these one-liners, it's just because I've lived the dream, right? And spending years in large corporations dealing with office politics and the people who are, um, you know, enthused by it. Uh, has certainly given me some skills, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, love it. Well, thank you for sharing those skills with us, Marty. Once again, we have tackled a couple of big topics on the dark side of organizational culture. And hopefully that was useful to Julia, Janelle and everyone listening. So thank you again for sending in such great questions. As always, if you'd like us to cover something specific on the podcast, something that you're going through at work, just shoot us an email at hello at yourceomentor.com or reach out to us on any of the social channels and we will add your question to the Q&A list because Marty and I absolutely love doing these ones. Love a Q&A, yeah. Marty, that's all for today. Why don't you take us out? Thanks, Em. Uh, so that brings us to the end of episode 238. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode now with your network of leaders. I'm looking forward to next week's episode, Managing Performance in a Lax Culture. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>